And welcome to episode nine of the Thodcast, conversations about animation. I'm Philip Elke. I'm joined by my brother, Dawson. Hi. Hey, how's it going? Yeah. Yes, that's me, Dawson. Merry Christmas, Dawson. Merry Christmas mm-hmm. to you, Philip. Well, thank you. Yeah, um, this is our last episode before the big day, which of course is uh, December 22nd. Do you know what happened on that day? <sighs> December 22nd. 1979, the day the funk died. No, uh, that you're was off by 34 years. Did The Force Awakens come out on the 22nd? Uh, no, no. Uh, Did Rogue One? <laughs> no, it's, it, you, you probably won't get it. Uh, it was the day I saw Frozen for the first time. Hey, but Frozen didn't come out. Did it? It came out in it? November. Yeah. Yeah, it took me a while to get to that one, too. Um, Man, um, I saw it twice, back to back, not in the same day, but like I went one day with a friend and then I went another day, mm-hmm. either alone or with a different friend. No, I went alone the first time. Oh, I think. Yeah. And then I went with a friend the next day because I was like, y'all got to see this movie. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah, it was, it was based on some recommendations. Same for me too. Well, that's the whole reason I went alone was because I was so annoyed with everyone singing because I went to theater school. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, in, in my school, we had this narrow hallway with our little black box theater in the basement. And that was where the theater classroom was. That was where the theater was. That was where the theater offices was. So if someone was walking through there, chances were they were a theater major. And theater majors, they like to sing all the time. Mm-hmm. And it makes me want to kill myself. So when Frozen came out, it, anytime, any, oh, and, and Hamilton, oh my. <laughs> anyway, if you don't like hearing songs sung by the people who didn't originally sing them, then don't, then don't go to theater school. But anyway, so yeah, Frozen came out and I was like, I want to see this because it's Disney, but I want nothing to do with you anyway. Hmm. Well, I, I saw it with a friend the first time and, and then I think I only saw it twice in theaters and the second time was like, it might have been like early February, the second time I saw it and I saw it by myself. Mm. And uh, the theater was still like very active. Um, it was it was one of the more... Yeah, uh, holy cow. How long was that in theaters? Um, well, yeah, well into February, March, maybe. Um, I think it got like a reissue in, in March or something where they did subtitles during the songs. It was like a sing-along. Oh yeah, that 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 has that's the the Vivo video too that has like over a billion views. Um, or the Let It Go. How would I know that? I didn't look up Let It Go a week ago. Not <laughs> the all. first time I remember hearing Let It Go was at the movie. How did that happen? How did you survive that? Um, I mean, I it was it had only been about a month, and I was busy doing like work and you know GameStop. I don't know. I suppose not. Not just bouncy boys, you know. The little th- girl runs in singing, nah, 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 and then a girl goes, "Oh my god!" Ah, I I wouldn't have had any idea what you know, no context for any of that. Oh right, that's why it's awful. It's like I'm sure this movie is fine, but I have no idea other than your pitchy hmm. version. Yeah. Anyhow, um, of we're course, not, we're not talking about Frozen <laughs> today. I know you would like to talk about Frozen well, every day, yeah. but we're here to talk about a far superior animated film <laughs> um no i i mean it it won't be superior in terms of box office but you know sure um oh, this is are a, we sure though oh yeah uh, it only made 35 million over the weekend 
What? But okay, this is going to have a huge second weekend though. Word of mouth, I think, is going to do yeah. this one a huge favor. Well, it's this is the time of year when movies don't open that huge, but they go on to have right. fairly long lifetime. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, and I don't like or at least after after seeing it, I would think I, I mean, this one's getting such rave reviews. I hear- Box office is by no means a metric, right? That, you know, necessarily quality. I mean, to to a degree, I would say it is. But so so what we yeah so what we have here is a Spider-Man film that happens to be the most extraordinarily animated film ever made, other than anything two D. Mm. And it's the most extraordinarily animated three D motion picture that I've ever seen. Okay, so so you really liked it. Um, I did really like it, but mm-hmm. w- and when I when I say the animation is the most extraordinary I've ever seen, that doesn't mean I'm saying this is overall the the best or highest quality animated motion picture I've ever seen. I'm just saying the whole time through the movie, I was thinking I've never seen anything like this. This mm-hmm. is blowing my mind, and that's not necessarily what I want to be thinking the entire time when I'm trying to take in a story, but. I mean, I, I bow down to the feet of the animators of this film for, uh, for the, the, sh- the sheer sensory overload. Um, and, um, did, okay, did I, did I also watch a screening that was supposed to be 3D, but I forgot to get the glasses? Or does the background look like that the whole time? Um, Everything in the background had a blue and red uh, he, uh, hue tint to the outlines of shapes like buildings and objects and stuff. Yeah, it was. It's sort of given a lenticular layered effect to you know all well, the, the for in, environments and um, yeah, yeah, like those images you look at. It, I mean, it's it's printed on a two D surface, but it looks three D, or you know, it's it combines multiple lay, you know, layers of effects to give uh, you know sort of that printed. Um, looked, you know, those um, dot matrix printed effect, um, right? Because it, it obviously it looked like the a panel of a of a comic book, yeah. but it was three mm-hmm. D. So, well, let's get let's let's talk about the film in the order that you want to talk about things, Philip. What did you think of the movie, and where do you want to go? Um, no, I, it was very enjoyable. I mean, it was um, you know, it wasn't for me like too much of a revelation, but it it was very refreshing as a movie overall. It broke new ground. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it um, <laughs> coming from the studio famously brought us the emoji movie. It uh, it's very uh, noteworthy. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I forgot. Like the whole time. Uh, well, the, all I was thinking was that this is a Lord Miller film. And so that's why I was excited about it. Um, and, you know, it looked cool was why I was excited about it. And then Sony animated pictures. And I thought, well, mm-hmm. Christmas miracle. Yeah. Um, I mean, the Emoji Movie wasn't the most recent film they've done. They've since come out with um, Hotel Transylvania 3. Um, they were involved. I with, liked the first one <laughs> with uh, Goosebumps to Haunted Halloween. Yeah, I I, uh, I never I didn't see any of the sequels to Hotel Transylvania. Apparently, they're good. Uh, my fiance likes them when she babysits because the kids are quiet. I don't know. <laughs> it was created by Gendy Tartakovsky. By Gendron Tchaikovsky, a legendary Westerosi composer of the Nutcracker. <laughs> Gen- Gendry Baratheon Tchaikovsky, yeah. the fourth. They they brought him up to the the realm of uh, CG animation and um, you know from 
shows like uh, Dexter's Lab, Samurai Jack, uh, the Star Wars 2D Clone Wars. Did he have anything to do with the 3D Clone Wars? Because they obviously tried to emulate some of that edgy style. Um, and by edgy, I just mean everything's pointy. Yeah, that was the extent, really, of his influence on on that show. He, otherwise, he didn't have any involvement in the in the 3D version. And so he had something to do with Hotel Transylvania? Oh, he, he directed the first Hotel Transylvania. No wonder it was a, a hoot. <laughs> and and then, yeah, I don't know if he directed any of the rest. Um, this movie uh spider-man into the spider-verse uh, also from sony pictures animation yeah which of course brought us as we mentioned um the uh, emoji movie and uh, hotel transylvania and uh, a few others that i think are you know of, of varying uh quality what are they they did angry birds too i believe yeah i never never saw that yeah so i don't know i it's almost like looking back at the sony pictures animation catalog is like a case study in mediocrity oh (laughs) oh my gosh hold on hold before you before you start throwing the m word around Uh their first film in 2006 was open season you can't Huh? Um, yeah. Uh, speaking of mediocrity, <laughs> uh, I dug that. I okay. mean, Ashton Kutcher. Dear, no, I'm just kidding. I mean, uh, I dug over the hedge, and oh. I mean, I wouldn't call that anything. I think I dug over the hedge too, and I'm glad I don't remember it. I mean, same. these anyway, are fine. I, they're fine films. Um, oh, I'm don't... pretty sure I saw Over the Hedge three on a shelf. Okay, day, wait, and I was I... like, um. I missed something. Sony <laughs> did the um, Cloudy with the Chance of Meatball yes, movie. They did. Lord Miller has a history there with Sony Animation. Mm-hmm. And Arthur Christmas, which you like, I haven't seen. Oh, yeah, uh-huh. that's great. Yeah, they did some of those Aardman uh, animation films. No, yeah, so apparently uh, Sony Animated Pictures is a bit hit and miss. I don't know who's responsible yeah. for no, everything. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm being facetious when I'm saying, you know, it's, it's a... A case study in oh yeah but i mean it's not all bad because i mean you've got uh like obviously they they um ex excremented the smurfs films and oh um, okay well i know. maybe take back the <laughs> yeah the smurfs the emoji movie uh and but they also you know i, I liked hotel transylvania one and you liked arthur and cloudy with a chance of meatballs but that was one of the earlier ones and then uh, and okay, and they also excremented the the new Peter Rabbit film. So <laughs> I don't know. Okay, so so Spider Man into the Spider Verse was directed by Bob Persichetti, uh, Peter Ramsey, and Rodney Rothman. Sort of the the frequent case of multiple directors on a animated project. Um, it's unusual Ooh. to see three names in the directed byline, but. Well, I wasn't shocked after this film because I couldn't even begin to th- imagine how they conceived of every single shot in this film. I mean, there's every shot is not only so dense and there's so much going on. The angles, the 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 movement, the motion, it just was really... And, and that's actually one thing that I was thinking about was... In a Spider-Man, I felt like if this, I I would never, like, again, these animators are so freaking unbelievably skilled, and I'm overwhelmed by their power and and wisdom, and I bow before them. But maybe this is a good example in contrast, and and how you need contrast in storytelling. So in a Spider-Man film, 
what's so awesome about it is when he's swinging around, you feel it. Mm. And it, that's such a contrast to walking on the ground, being grounded. None of this film was grounded. Everything was swinging and swooping and the camera was upside down, sideways, corkscrew, zooming in, zooming out, all, all diagonal, all of the above, all the time that like when Spider-Man was swinging, it didn't feel fantastic because the whole movie just felt fantastic. Mm -hmm. Like, Yeah, I mean, the fact that they were able to keep things um, coherent and... Um, well-defined despite yeah the crazy um motion and animation um yeah that is uh in a testament to just the yeah. level of detail that went into this film did they just break the movie into thirds and say each director take a third this movie is so exhausting i can only handle a chunk like well and it's also written uh, the screenplay was written by Phil Lord and Rodney Rothman. So they yeah. So when I've been saying it's a Phil Lord film, obviously mm -hmm. that's a that's a misnomer. Uh, they're it's that's not the typical pairing in the traditional sense. They didn't both direct, but like yeah, Chris Miller's his directing partner, and he's not in the writing credits, but he he's a producer on this film, correct? Right. Um, yeah, they're both they're both producers. One of them uh, one of them was a writer, and and I and this came up with the story, That's and right. then. Of course, the directors were all, because what would Lord Millard know about animating? Probably, as my guess. But okay, well, they did. Yeah, Twenty One Jump Street, and I, I think they're more known for yeah their screenplays um, and directing. Um, and yeah, with the directors, I mean, if if we were to delve more into their filmographies, we get to know sort of their individual specialties. But chances are, there's there's one maybe more focused on the story. One focused on the visuals and, and then one kind of emphasized in just bringing a whole level of uh, uniqueness and originality to this style that, that it really is um, trying to emulate the feeling of reading a comic book in a film format. And they, and they nailed that, except completely not because reading comic books is, I mean, you feel a flow, but I mean, you've got motionless Im images and this film is anything but motionless. So yeah, the, I mean, the medium of the novel or graphic novel is, is totally subjective in its level of immersion. Cause I, I feel like mm -hmm. when you're reading a book or reading a comic book, it can be just as much, if not more immersive than watching a film because it's purely banking on right. your you know, ability to imagine um, out from the the text or the images, oh, you know the yeah. action that's being portrayed, and um, your integration of the, mm -hmm. of the material, yeah, yeah. Certain people, you know, will respond more to certain um, stories or you know, techniques used in in novels or comic books, um, and yeah, when when you're watching a film, it's there's less sort of variation on how the consumer might you know interpret the the work um, but even still you know film combines just so many different art forms um that you know it it is still just insanely subjective still there there is that sort of objective measure of quality that you can glean from examining the the level of dedication and, and um, ingenuity, sort of the creativity uh, of like all. no one's no one's allowed to walk out of this movie and say, "Well, that sucked." 
<laughs> they're they are fundamentally incorrect. Yeah, I'm, I mean, yeah, no, you're you're right. I'm there. There was, you know, the characters are where this film really excelled. I, I felt, um, and that's the core of any story. Oh well, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, let's move on. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. thinking the just the 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 talent and the art art and the technology and the yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, that's that's the um, window dressing of, of any. I, I know that's I know that's that is the least important part of the movie. Like, okay, this I movie, mean, I okay, I want yeah. This movie could have sucked. Actually, no. The, I, you make a very good point. I want to amend what I said. Well, I I I wasn't impressed by the trailers. Yeah, to be honest, even though it had a unique uh, visual style, you can appreciate talent and technology and still not. No, that's a very good point because, like, obviously the prequels suck, and there's a lot of talent and technology um, that went into those. Like, you know, a, a special effect without a story, or, you know, really isn't. Well, the really prequels don't suck, but I'll you know. Let you... <laughs> <laughs> we will not get on that rabbit trail. But anyway, um, D D D D Spider Man. Yeah, no, okay, the characters. Yeah, talk about the character. Talk about the characters, Philip. So, was it, it wasn't the same actor who played the older Peter Parker as the, you know, the wait, blonde Peter Parker. Scruffy Brown, Peter Parker, were they the same actor? Yeah, was... Peter Parker, and then Peter B. Parker is the scruffy one. Yeah, um, I the thought same? they were the same actor when I when I saw the movie, but it says here that Chris Pine plays Peter Parker on IMDb. Yeah, I would have assumed they were. Well, so okay, I got confused. We can talk mm-hmm. about confusion. There were oh my gosh, this movie <laughs> was great. I got confused a few times mm-hmm. for various reasons. Um, it opened with what I thought, because I was excited going in knowing that Nick from, whatever the actor's name, Nick from New Girl was playing, you know, Peter Parker. Like, what a great schlubby. Yeah, Jim Johnson? No, Jake, Johnson? Jake Johnson. Jake Johnson. Um, one noteworthy thing he was in that probably everyone would recognize is uh, Jurassic World. He was Lowry, you know, the guy with the Jurassic Park t-shirt. yeah. Yeah, yep. He he was he was wonderful in that, and of course he was in that because he got famous in New Girl, which I'm not advocating for that show. It's I I some of it's fine. I don't care for it overall, but uh, but he's fantastic. He's like his character is is wonderful and yeah. P- Peter B. Parker was I would say my favorite character. Yes, know. yes, hands down. Um, yep, loved Miles. I really loved Miles, but we're but we're talking about character. We're we're talking about characters now. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, because uh, we are introduced to the world in which the film primarily takes place, which is um, Miles Morales's. It's really Miles Morales' story. Like this whole new film universe yep. is going it's, to presumably be just you know the the Spider-Man story, but with you know Miles Morales instead of Peter Parker. Yeah, very very traditional story structure here, story arc, hero's journey, but in but so surrealist in style. So that was a weird juxtaposition for me too. Was um, usually surrealist animated films are more wacky and wild in their nature overall, yeah. and and suffer in the storytelling. But this had a very strong story. Just briefly back to the design aesthetic, where like it it took some getting used to, but I mean the the sheer chemistry of, of all the effects you know drew me in uh, and of course the complexity of the story just really made me forget about any of the quibbles i might have had with the animation style but 
like the, it is a little jarring how there's really no motion blur and I don't know if it's a reduced frame rate or what, but it, you know, it does have that choppy effect probably because yeah. when you're looking at frames of a comic book, like it, everything is a still image. There's, there's not necessarily motion blur unless it's, you know, drawn in to, to give that effect. I was never, I was never taken out of it due to the choppiness where like what we've, cause looking ahead at this film we were wondering how much it would be like the dragon prince and the and the um tron disney tron uprising which had mm -hmm. similar 3d 2d you know effects mm -hmm. uh, that uh, that whole issue did not bother me at all in this film uh, mm -hmm. i barely noticed it um okay. and it, it bothered me a little bit but not enough to impede my enjoyment no and that's a, and it's i'm glad you brought up that you know the whole animation style overall like yeah, not everyone's cup of tea, probably. I mean, it's not like mm -hmm. my, I don't want every animated film to look like this one, mm -hmm. um, but it yeah. was great for what it was. And obviously just the sheer, the skill that it took to do what they did mm -hmm. on, unbelievable. Um, but back to the characters. Yeah. Confused. Cause the, the opening narration I thought was, was Jake, Jake Johnson. Johnson. I thought that was Jake Johnson. And then suddenly blonde Peter Parker had me going, I don't know if that's Jake Johnson anymore. And then it, cause it kept cutting back to these narrations where they would all say, here's what's going on. Here's what's going on. Cause there would be a dimensional shift like periodically. Um, mm -hmm. We should probably do, can we, are we going to do any spoilers? Because that ending, we could spend yeah, um, 20 minutes talking about that ending. Well, let's, let's just, yeah, do full spoilers from here on out. Okay. But uh, I, yeah, I don't want to jump ahead back totally. Well, and that with that opening too, there was, it was just so stylish, you know, how they, you know, went from the, the logos into, I don't know what, what necessarily the musical cues were. I, I can't remember, but um, then I, mean, I loved the opening. It was, it was a great little thematic beat with the um, bingo ball with the number 42 on it. Did you notice that? Like, no. I don't remember. Okay, it's just like this random, like ping pong ball with the number forty two, just like blasted up on the screen, and and I took note of that because forty two is you know kind of significant um, metaphysical or, or metaphorical um, n number within um, rule forty two you know, within the internet. No, no, that's rule thirty four. Oh, um, forty two is the meaning of everything in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Um, and then the the spider that bites Miles Morales has the number forty two uh, drawn on it. Wow. Um, and and of course, just um, everything. It it refers to like the you know the odds and and sort of the notion that it, this could be anybody. You know, anyone could be Spider Man. Um, it, it was just he was the one who hit the lottery. It even mm. we even uh, hear reference to like how he got into that um, prep school based on a lottery. Uh, right, Miles Morales. He got into Brooklyn Visions Academy. Mm hmm. In Brooklyn, and but his dad was like, "No, kid, you got the skill. You passed the test." And you know, yeah, he's he's clearly very smart, but not smart scrappy. enough to know that uh, if scrappy you dude. <laughs> if you get all the answers wrong on a test is just as you know obvious. yeah yeah that's one of those moments the like every movie has them where you're like i see what you did there and well oh, it, yeah i mean it's the kind of mistake that maybe a 14 year old kid would make you know he's yeah. clearly not he's not a 
super genius, which no, had this movie that yes. that was one of the more refreshing things about this movie, where yeah. like he does have lots of doubts about his own abilities. Yes, that was that was very it, nice. He it, was very uh, relieved. He develops them in a realistic way. Yeah, I thought so too. Um, I I loved I loved his whole development. Actually, frankly, um, there was a scene, uh, a, a particularly beautiful scene. I thought was when he just gets like overwhelmed and like goes away because like all the other spider characters are like shouting at him and asking him about like what he can do or something. Yeah, he, he pieces out. Um, and, and is that in in the spider cave? Yeah, it's not that it's a separate scene from when they say they don't want him around uh, or that, you know, they don't want his help or whatever. Like he, I don't know, it's just a really, it's a moment where the, where being Spider-Man cool as it is, like the anxiety hits you of like how much he doesn't know and how much he's unprepared for and how experienced mm -hmm. all these other mm -hmm. uh, freaks. Well, because they, we meet the motley crew of Spider-Man and uh, yeah. the, uh, yeah, Miles Morales world, Peter Parker. I know they have names for all these different worlds. Um, but um, you know, the Chris Pratt, Peter Parker, uh, put together his own um, Bat Cave, essentially. That the uh, Jake Johnson, Peter Parker, um, Chris is, Pine. You mean? Is, yeah, is, yeah. Did I say Chris Pine? Yeah. Chris Pratt? Chris, oh, okay. Chris, yeah, Chris Pine. Yeah, Chris. Chris Pine. Okay. Chris Pine's uh, Life is All Good Spider-Man built this beautiful technological uh, spider cave and then and then Peter B. Parker is like, yeah, it's this kind of pretentious. That was awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Chris Pine and Jake Johnson have similar voices. That that makes more sense. I, when reading the IMDb, I had Chris Pratt in my head for some reason. I was oh, like, so when you said Chris Pine, you were thinking Chris Pratt? When I... Yes, that's yes. Whole time. Oh, that's hilarious. Mm -hmm. okay. <laughs> Which, yeah, he's he's the Lego movie dude. Uh, and and yeah, I even referred to, oh gosh, yeah, earlier in the recording, referred to Jake Johnson's co-star as the other um, Peter Parker. Oh gosh, this is all t a tangled web, if you will. Well, yeah, let's not redo the whole podcast because we can, you know, this no, movie no, was a tangled no. web. This movie was <laughs> all over the place. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and we were going to get into, of course, the pivotal scene when, you know, Miles has to sort of pick up the mantle. The um, Tim Allen putting on the coat of the uh, deceased Santa Claus, if you will. Yeah. Um, moment in, in the film when, you know, Miles is, is investigating how he obtained these um, mysterious powers and uh, finds he remembers getting bit by this spider, <laughs> this like insane, you know, neon colored spider that he doesn't really think twice about. When I love that too, how it was this dramatic, you know, the spider bites and then hard cut. He's just, just slaps him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, great. Yeah. I mean, th those sorts of juxtapositions um, throughout the film are, are so great like it's just it points to the sort of schizophrenic nature of, of being a teenager you know constant raging hormones and and like there's a scene of him just walking through the hallway having all these thoughts you know once he gets injected he, he all of a sudden has an enhanced like mental capacity where all his yeah. thoughts are just so vivid hyper overanalyzes <laughs> he's just walking down the hallway in his school passes like this really tall girl he's like oh man that girl's really tall just a total aside. Oh man, but, that goes. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. 
which is i mean yeah like spider abilities aside is like oh i we i get that that's funny mm-hmm. um he goes back to the cave where like he and his uncle his uncle's kind of a a deviant um and and it's his his father's brother which they never really explained like what he did that was so bad it was just like he's just i think he's involved in organized crime a little bit like he he sells uh yeah you know stolen stereo systems he's sort of a a fence he did did we see that uh well, no, but he's he's kind of like Samuel L. Jackson's character in um, Live oh, or Die Hard, <laughs> Die Hard with a Vengeance. Uh, oh. Well, actually, no, Samuel L. Jackson's character is like a, he's a subversion of this, where he like, you know, he he's, the kids walk in with a stolen stereo, trying to fence it to Samuel L. Jackson. He's like, mm-hmm. you know, he's chastising them, but you know, yeah, Aaron Aaron Davis Miles uncle yeah he's he's sort of a seedier character but still loving he had that he had that thief with the heart of gold thing going on even though we never really see him be a thief it's just implied that he went down like he and he and miles is dead they used to be well he's i'm sure and then um in this movie he's played by marshall ali yeah he he had a falling out with miles's father um jefferson you know uh officer jefferson davis played by brian tyree henry is his name really jefferson officer jefferson davis yeah yeah um and interestingly um miles name you know he he didn't take his father's surname yeah i tried to i had i had a like a refrigerator moment about that last mm-hmm. night i'm like wait a minute miles morales his mother's hispanic his dad is what 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 i don't yeah. like uh, that what? may be um, how, like in Hispanic cultures, um, sometimes the surname is passed through the mother's line, um, and yeah, she's played by Luna Lauren Velez, uh, Rio Morales, um, and um, or or maybe he was conceived out of wedlock and born before you know they got married, something like that. Morale, morale. Okay, so there. Wait, so in in hispanic or latino i I know in in some latino cultures they do um, matriarchal matriarchal. yeah fascinating cool miles morales he's voiced by sort of a newcomer uh shamik moore um and he was he's also been in uh, the movie dope and the get downs the netflix series set in the 1970s is he a rapper with a name like xxx I'm Spider-Man now, dog. XX. I'm sure he does music too. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, Zoe Kravitz plays Mary Jane, um, and um, yeah, Haley Steinfeld. Uh, she's she's definitely done music as well. Gwen is Gwen Stacy. What do you think of Gwen? Um, oh man, I love Gwen. How about yeah. you? Yeah, yeah. Her entrance was so dope. Um, had that wonder woman you know the moment the like guitar started going nuts i'm like oh man gwen is coming and she came and it was really there was some the camera did a her i don't know particularly because like you know it was it was dramatic but in like a really cool way Mm -hmm. that i don't know like you're when you like are waiting for a character to show up and when they do and it's like really satisfying that's that i love that I love her outfit so much, but I hate her hood so much. It's the most redundant, pointless thing. 
it, um, is there a strip of Velcro up at the top of her head that keeps the hood on? Um, I, I guess we should pretend that's the case because otherwise it doesn't really work. And they're and they're they're chewing out Miles for wanting a cape when she is literally she's a Spider Girl and she's cutting off her peripheral vision. But she's wearing a mask with these eyes and a hood over the mat it's like that, oh that bothered me a, too yeah did a fifth grader come up with this design i mean it looks ba of course it does but yeah i think the hood it, like it wouldn't look as cool without it but then when you think you know fridge logic wise it, it's uh yeah wouldn't you be sort of cutting off your peripheral vision a little bit i mean it's it's a short hood like it doesn't really cover much but but still, it's and the like the I think it's the color scheme that I love her color scheme so much. Good heavens! Like I love the ballet how slippers. Boots, how do those? Yeah, how do those like turquoise boots work with that purpley thing? I don't even know. But um, yeah, no, I think she'd look fine. I think it'd be a fine color scheme, color you know outfit if it was just she was a normal. But they've got to set her apart from all the other spider suits, I guess. Um, I thought she was gonna be like super punk millennial hipster with the half buzz cut like from the trailers and i love how she got that unintentionally that made me so happy (laughs) i I 100 thought that was just an intentional style choice was like oh right she's uh she's trying to be Katy perry she's trying to be or or pink or that's so funny you've named two already oh i'm so bad what the ellie golding ellie golding Um, oh okay or ever every college girl no Mm -hmm. no i'm just kidding but a lot did that but and and of course even practically speaking that hairstyle makes sense just so it's easier to fit her hair inside to be clear i'm not hating like no no. it works for some people and it's and it's fine just as cool as anything else hey i mean yeah this movie has sold me on the partial buzz yeah well was there a reason she didn't okay because she when they met she was spider Gwen. um did he and he got his finger stuck in her hair was there a reason she didn't go oh you're a spider kid too that was kind of strange for me yeah going back to like i i just assumed when that scene played out um this this was this universe's version of gwen stacy and she just happened to be a classmate of Miles's. Yeah. Um, but that was actual, like the alternate dimension, Gwen Stacy, Spider Gwen, you know, in uh, disguise undercover right. at his school. And how did, how did she enroll herself in his school? And it could just have easily been the, the normal Gwen in the beginning. Yeah. We're introduced to, uh, what, 15-year-old Gwen Stacy. Um, and um, she, she's, uh, yeah, undercover at, at night night at night vision uh, brooklyn night visions academy um, night. <laughs> and dragons you know and is played on a loop throughout the oh, oh i would go to that school that's what that's that's my junior year baby um, <laughs> what a legend it broke new ground album that inspired a generation they created mm-hmm. um and then Were they, in this? they should have had a song in this film anyway. i'm surprised they didn't yeah um, Wreck-It Ralph ended with Imagine Dragons. I love that song. I, yeah, I I really think I think I really like their new album. Mm-hmm. Nothing has come close to Night Visions, but it's, mm-hmm. there's some good stuff. Really good yeah. stuff. Yeah, I mean th- that Zero. It's just so like thematically rich that that song Zero that they do. Like he the way that you you know the name of the lead singer. I'm sure. Like no, he's, he's kind of singing like he's like depressed and down in the dumps, but like 
Yeah, this whole album. I when my I just listened to the album actually last night. The There's new so album, much, and yeah, emotional weight I, in his vocals. There is, or, or uh, lack, lack of emotional. It's it's like um, emotionally, you know, arrhythmic. Yes, I well, okay. I I think because if you're if you're saying what I think I'm saying, I think we're on the same page here. Which mm-hmm. I was like, I think you're making an album about heartbreak but I don't know if it's coming from real experience. Like I could not, like there were songs about not being able to get over you and girl, you know, love and and stuff. And I, man, I just, I don't want to assume this, but it sounded like studio interference and not like, well, I mean, Imagine Dragons has had just such a string of hits that like clearly their whole operation has their fingers firmly on the pulse of, guys yeah yeah and so it doesn't really matter whether it's coming from a i mean i I think in order to have an impact to some degree you have to have that honest you know personal yeah well i'm just i i mean my concern with them has always been like so you released this first debut unbelievably fantastic album which was all straight from the heart and it was something that people really loved and 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 connected to and then as you worry with everyone getting big who starts out that way independently is that are is someone going to say all right guys i'm going to make you bigger that album was great but now we're going to fine tune you to fit a more pop demographic and we're going to make your song sound more like this and be more like this because mm-hmm. that'll just make you bigger which won't necessarily make you better but it'll keep you big and you know i i, I don't know if that happened and i need to listen to the album again i really liked it overall but but we're not talking about it now but we're here to talk about post malone Enter the Spiderland. That's a great song too. I mean, that whole intro, the introduction of his character was such a great relatable moment. He's doodling and listening to music. I just loved it. Been there. Yeah. Wait, was Post Malone a voice in this movie? Uh, he probably should have been. Oh, maybe he had was. a cameo. Who knows? Maybe it was one of the scientists. Every scientist at Fisk Incorporated wears a lab coat and carries a gun to lunch. <laughs> Those were some bloodthirsty scientists. That was the best oh my god <laughs> i mean at first i thought they were just going to be like normal scientists who are like oh yeah. hey what's spider-man doing here they're just like right like we have, no idea if, we have no idea fisk is like a criminal he's just our mm-hmm. boss no mm-hmm. they're all sold out heart and soul for jesus fisk like that was <laughs> amazing <laughs> we we are in on this scheme we are in on tearing down the system like yeah. we are I mean, scientists same with Catherine Hahn, you know, as, as uh, Dr. Olivia Octavius. Oh, she was riveting. That was wonderful. Reminded me of, of, of uh, the villain in Metal Gear Solid 4. One of the, one of the, the why can't I think? Oh, Psychomantis, uh, the, the female yes. Psychomantis. Reminded oh me gosh. of, yep, Psychomantis combined with, there's an, there's an octopus character. In, in Metal Gear Solid 4, there because uh, in Metal Gear Solid 4, you the bosses that you fight are these, um, like, they're like hybrids female. of the foxhound, yeah, the yeah. Foxhound. They were these female commandos who were mm-hmm. like mutilated with the fox dye genes and stuff, and like, ter- they, yeah, they were fused, hybrided with the with those fo- original foxhound operatives, really like dark, scary, sad. That all oh, that game. Oh my gosh. Every time you kill one of them and their suits melt off and they just like start to melt as they like and then you and then you and then you like, yeah. listen screaming. to the narration of their story. Screaming Screaming Octopus? Was screaming that what it was? Mantis. Screaming Mantis. Um 
yeah, you got Psycho Mantis in Metal Gear One, and then Screaming Mantis is the is the girl in Metal Gear Four, mm-hmm. and then there's an octopus. What did you play Metal Gear Solid? I have not played Metal Gear Solid One. Laughing okay. Octopus, Metal Gear Solid Four, Laughing Octopus, terrifying okay. boss battle. And and that's a play on an octopus ca- character in a previous game. It might be Metal Gear Solid Two because there's yeah the guy with the Doc Ock decoy. Arms. No, it's it's decoy octopus. Main appearance was in Metal Gear Solid. To those just tuning in now, welcome to our review of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Yeah, well, and and your voice has kind of been cad baning a little bit, so I, I want to apologize to the listener for that. I haven't um, noticed that. I'm sorry. No, no, it, you can't hear it on your end, but for some reason, yeah. Because yours has ever so slightly, so I figured it just mm-hmm. isn't a problem. Yeah, you don't, like, there's not an actual fight scene between Snake and... Oh, Ophelia, get out of here. My, the dog is whining and scratching at my door. Mm-hmm. So go away in a minute. Um, let's see, because his his normal appearance is only partially visible during a flashback sequence in MGS. Um, his actual voice is never heard. Um, he's the only member of Foxhound in the game who does not serve as a boss character. Mm. Uh, you know, he's, I guess, in disguise maybe the entire game. Um, spoilers for huh. Metal Gear Solid. Um, all right yeah so you do fight laughing octopus in metal gear 4 and it's a lot like uh well octavia miss julia octavia octopus. is it julia or olivia she's oh do i have alzheimer's i don't know um my friends call me julia is what no live live yeah live. Her, she yeah her friends call her live yeah Julia, why did I think? Oh, because that's the name of Magnus uh, Burnside's wife in The Adventure Zone. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. We, we didn't talk about how the Chris Pine, because we got derailed when I confused Chris Pine for Chris Pratt. Ugh. That's when we got derailed. Um, yeah, in revealing that, you know, Wilson Fisk, um, played by Lee Schreiber, by the way. Fantastic. Oh, wonderful. Whose design is absolutely egregious, by the way. Just I, I was distracted by that, to be honest. It is comical, um, but like it's supposed to be an imposing character. And it's just like, he's a mutant. <laughs> yeah, your, your, fran- your wife and child left you. You had a wife and child? Like, how did you ever, yeah, acquire a wife in the first place? How did you acquire any occupation other than sideshow performer? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he's a, a very menacing fighter uh, and portrayed as oh. such in the comics um, and, and like the Daredevil series, which is fantastic. He's played by Vincent D'Onofrio. He's just a total, yeah. you know, he's wonderful. He's like a Donald Trump type of character in the comics where he's like this, you know, real estate mogul. He's trying to like clean up the streets of Manhattan um but like also you know strong ties to organized crime and you know so he's just this wealthy brute he's a he's a two-faced character character wealthy yeah mm-hmm. mo- mogul there's something gross about that word that really fits uh so <laughs> he just has these wreck it ralph fists which he uses to pummel um donkey kong pounds the ground <laughs> Uh, it, yeah, yeah man that, that what brutal t- ko that was like soul caliber ish but he, you ain't getting back up mm-hmm. 
It'd be like when Necro or Nightmare just brings their sword down on you. Maybe maybe more Tekken or Street Fighter because he's using his fists. Because he's using his fists, right. But just the like, like you playing Soul Calibur 4 and imagine Nightmare's sword coming down on your head and you like get back up. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, I mean that's a more salient reference point for us because we we were more Soul, Soul Calibur kids than we were. Uh, There's and Soul Calibur, it's still around. It's got Street, Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat, or well, oh yeah, Soul, Soul Calibur is huge, but um, also just uh, melee. Okay, punching. I I I can't take punching seriously in any animated film because these characters take so many. It's like a guaranteed non-lethal. Like you get punched, okay. Or like you slam into a, a boulder, mm-hmm. okay, you're fine. Or you, well, you know, careen into the ground or a building and you're okay. Like, kind of like earthbending in Avatar. It's, it's like, justified by the fact that these are like super enhanced uh, characters once they've bitten you know, by the spiders. So, so they have, you know, enhanced uh, intellect and physicality. Yeah, muscle muscle structure and, and constitution, everything. So Fisk mm-hmm. finally got Spider-Man down to one HP and then delivered the final blow. <laughs> but that whole uh, concept within uh, superhero stories, it, it bleeds into the characters who supposedly have no uh, enhancement to them. They're just super adept normies, you know, like Batman or Black Widow or, or Hawkeye. And, and like they yeah. still tend to like, you know, once in a while the creators forget that these characters shouldn't be able to take the same kind of like punches. Yeah, yeah. so true. Uh, I don't know that this one ever suffered that. It didn't because, well, the Prowler, Aaron Davis. You know, yeah. Yeah. Um, he gets he gets killed. Just Fisk shoots him with the deagle, <laughs> Desert Eagle. Yeah. Okay. Walk me through that moment. Fisk has his gun aimed at Spider Man and Prowler, and shoots Prowler. Um. Well, I th- I think Prowler was more in his line of sight. I'm pretty sure they just wanted to make a dramatic moment. Fisk. Well, my, of course. My most successful assassin is having a crisis of conscience. This is unacceptable. <laughs> I want to kill all the Spider-Men myself. So I'm no. He had both of those characters at profile and just and had plenty of time to aim. And speaking of guns, his dad, his the cop ends up Jefferson Davis Hogg ends up uh, at the the lookout point. Which okay, this whole now we're talking about like the last fifteen minutes of the film. I mean, the film completely unraveled for me. Mm-hmm at that moment like well, i i'm not saying it yeah. doesn't work thematically but just there was no there i was nowhere like in that fisk they were in a plane of non-reality even mm-hmm. though they were still in this chamber yeah. i mean they were they were basically on a floating platform in super smash brothers what that this the end of the world stage where you're just soaring through mm-hmm. I, I don't know it, it got hotel transylvania at that yeah and just to point out yeah the kind of the irony of, of the name Jefferson Davis too. I, I, I didn't quite grasp it until now where like, yeah, he President was president of the Confederate army. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, not the Confederate army. The yeah. Confederate States. Mm-hmm. But maybe Jefferson Davis wasn't uh, in this alternate timeline, but probably we we're mentioning sort of the climactic uh, fight, um, which parallels the uh, initial set piece of uh chris pine spider-man getting killed and and then the in inciting incident of 
um, bringing in the alternate dimension spider people, um, which is the is caused by this particle accelerator that I don't know creates this rift. <laughs> There's this moment where Fisk says, "There, well." This Fisk is standing by the scientists and it mm -hmm. starts to vibrate and, and, and it's getting more intense. And the person's like, oh, oh no, Fisk, it's, it's too dangerous. And he says, turn it up. Like, like opening dimensions is like turning up the temperature or something. <laughs> like, like to create a, a rift, you have, to, you have to crank it. Like, <laughs> mm -hmm. really, I don't know how these it's, things work. Yeah, I have no idea. Like turning up the volume on your music as you're, as you're trying to like, relax and control your powers uh and and like doing so allows you to access the, the uh emotional dimension or or whatever yeah. <laughs> I, I i i invoke the interstellar rule like how i have my sausage party rule for inanimate objects coming to life this this movie um invokes the uh interstellar rule of love being the bridge between dimensions or or emotion or, or what have you because yes love conquers all like i guess it only makes sense that this particle collider brings in these alternate spider people because spider-man just happens to be present or or at least two versions of spider-man happen to be present yeah yeah we open an alternate yeah. dimension and only spider-man comes through only different spider version people come through uh, so there's, there's also like a connection yeah what was the fisk family deal i didn't i didn't that was never clear enough um yeah um well fisk like is i, I don't know for some reason spider-man is invading his house and they get in a fight and and fisk has spider-man in a headlock mm -hmm. and is about to break his neck but then his wife and child um see him and, and like see his they recoil in horror <laughs> yeah as his anger. she does every night at bedtime and every morning when she wakes up and sees this hippo hippopotamus hippo uh, what's the word that it's hypopotanic landmass anyway princess hmm. bride yeah and and like they take off in their suv and and just kind of randomly get hit by a car i guess okay so they died i wasn't they i died. was like okay the car accident mm -hmm. i everything is happening so fast and it's so red and there's so many line like blurring whatever i missed that so i i thought maybe he was trying to summon a wife and child from another dimension even though his current ones were still alive somewhere they just ran off from him no then, no then, they're then, dead um but yeah like he's he'd be summoning them from an alternate rick and morty dimension and stealing <laughs> them from you know an alternate version of him from I the guess. space between spaces my yeah. interdimensional yeah thing. you know he he is uh so greedy that he uh is willing to steal from himself in a different dimension. Yeah, and that's and that's supposed to like I think give him heart that like he loves his family, you know, that I guess. Um well, he is like superlatively narcissistic but also like for some somehow at the same time super um like empathetic. Um, uh, like sentimental. Sentimental, yeah. Kind of like Thanos too. Like he has his moments of 
But Farming? Really? Man of your talents. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I don't know. This is a great. He was. But I guess he's just, yeah, he's a very dualistic, you know, character, but ultimately, like, he wasn't able to um, let go of his darker tendencies. Uh, well, okay, so the, this rift occurs and like these, you know, alternate Spider-Men come through. My big, okay, here's my other big question. Probably my final big question. Mm-hmm. Are, are they aware that they are cartoons? Um, well, because one, yeah. two of them clearly came from a cartoon com- dimension, maybe mm-hmm. three. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so then, uh, so there was this, there's this big break then there for me where I was like, is... Is Miles's spider dimension, or is Miles' dimension supposed to be the real world, and it just happens to be an animated motion picture that we're watching, or are they living in an animated motion picture world? Yeah, I don't think it's quite to where the occupants of the Spider Verse, the main world, uh, like, are supposed to be live action or pure live. Action. I think that universe is supposed to be like exactly as it's presented. Yeah. Okay. Um, right. And to them, it, it's like real life. Um, to us, it's animated. But then, right. when they bring in the um, alternate, or you know, the P- Penny Parker uh, and Porky or <laughs> Peter Porker uh, slash Spider Ham, um, you know, th- those characters are Pig from Simpsons. <laughs> yeah those characters are like in in a cartoon realization um yeah sort of like if if we had you know tunes from roger rabbit existing in our world because uh, i think this the scorpion right. character the villain like rep um, makes a reference to how uh spider ham is a cartoon yeah he's and like, then spider ham you know he produces a, <laughs> a cartoon ham. mallet yeah Right. So that just got me thinking that like kind of through our not like the Incredibles, for instance, takes itself. It isn't self-aware, takes itself seriously. I think this film could have gotten away with not being so self-aware with maybe taking I don't know. Oh, I'm I'm so glad that it didn't, though. I'm, I'm glad. Yeah. It, yeah. Went full, you know, um, unironic. Yeah. Uh, wait, oh, f- full unironic. Full unironic. Um, was, at, least, at least for, you know, the Miles Morales world. Um, you know, it was bringing, very ironic. There, there are lots of meta references to itself and to what it was and to its nature and to, you know, I mean. The yeah, fact but the, the characters, the, 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 you know, the characters are fully invested in what they're doing. Um, there's certainly surrounding elements that wink at the camera. You know, you, you see that with any comic book, but. Yeah. Um, the, the stakes are fully felt by the core characters you know Sp- peter b parker miles uh spider gwen um you know you you get a little bit of in joke humor with you know spider ham you know, he's, he's a cartoon so he's yeah of- he was walking a very fine line there with between having like stakes and, and being invested and caring about it versus being just totally zany cartoon you know yeah not i mean as far as um my enjoyment of the the film it, it definitely stemmed from the fact that the you know the story was 
fully um, you know committing to its premise and, and its stakes um, at least uh, but dualistically it it also had plenty of you know great um, fourth wall moments as well just not moments that detracted from the reality of the the characters right yeah the the um nicholas cage character was great i mean <laughs> there wasn't a ton of him no um, or or the and like or like the like rubik's cube became a thing like more than it deserved to be a thing i think like it kind of I, I don't know like it was this big part of his character even though he just kind of I don't know. <laughs> he apparently can't see color uh, in Miles' dimension. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he, Nick Cage is so, it was just so wonderful to hear him voicing a mm-hmm. character like that. And yeah. lo- loved it. And, and the other character, like, he, apparently that Spider-Man does use firearms in his crime fighting. And Yes. <laughs> so dope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, he's like a Spider-Man Punisher. Yeah. Um, Apocalypse Dream Batman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, totally. With the duster and everything. Um, and then and then there was um, Robot Spider-Girl, who herself did not have any powers, if I'm correct. Yeah, she's just super... She's the quintessential childhood prodigy superhero character. She's, you know... Um, Hero, what's his name? Hero Hamada from yeah, yeah, Hero big Hero Six. Mm-hmm. And she's or, from an anime dimension. I, yeah, I yeah. Penny Parker's. She's played by um, Kimiko Glenn. Uh, I'm not sure what else she's done. She she was born and raised in Phoenix, Arizona. So she's not. Um, she's of Asian descent, but uh, American nationality. She she was a voice in Ducktales and uh, played Brooke Soso in Orange Is the New Black. We also have um, yeah Spider Ham, of course, played by John Mulaney, this comedian. Um, hasn't uh, done too much that I'm familiar with, but uh, a lot of Saturday Night Live. Sounds like I, I like he, when I first heard his voice, I immediately thought of Billy Crystal. Yeah, same. Lily Tomlin as Aunt May. She was kind of like uh, Alfred. Hughes. Yeah, I love how Aunt May was in on it by that time. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Mm-hmm. And just the notion that these two Peter Parkers that we see in, in this film, like they have very close similarities, but uh, I think one is clearly older. He's, he's supposed to be in his mid-30s, the, mm-hmm. you know, the Peter B. Parker. Um, and then he's divorced from... Mary Jane. I mean, there have just been so many comic storylines, um, you know, where there are slight variations. So one interesting subject I immediately considered was whether like this was supposed to be the Sam Raimi Spider-Man when, when it's right um, from Chris the get-go. Pine. Yeah. That yeah, was Chris Pine Spider-Man. He's uh, talking yeah, about his... this. That was, mm-hmm. except of course they, they depicted the scene like he was dancing to the music in a spider suit. Which... Yeah. Uh, which is fine because it's like this is. He could have done it another day. He could have <laughs> pulled that stunt multiple times. <laughs> yeah, I don't. It's not supposed to be a direct. Um, it's not supposed to be a direct continuation of the Sam Raimi films. Um, one thing that made me think it might have been was like when he first meets Miles in the particle collider. Like 
he tells him to swing up to the, you know, the ceiling to access this panel. Well, he, he should, you know, he should know that Miles it doesn't have web slingers on him at that time. Yeah. Um, so maybe he yeah, just I assumes, yeah, that, on that too. It's, it's, it's an organic thing in his version, but um, it, it definitely isn't the Sam Raimi verse when we see that his um, tombstone reads that he was born in 1992, I believe, mm-hmm. um, or early 90s. I didn't quite catch the 91. 91. Yeah. He, and then he's like 26 at the time of the film and and then he dies and leaves widowed Mary Jane. Um, That that was an interesting scene later in the film too, where the old Peter Parker meets the widowed Mary Jane. And and that was good. (laughs) Interesting. Like, so Wilson Fisk is on the up and up in, in this world uh, as, as of, um, the events of the film, at yeah, least as far a, as the public is concerned. Captain of industry, has the keys to the city kind of a thing. You know, a public figurehead, widely respected. And, and So no yeah, one knows so, about the Particle Collider. Yeah, Mary for. Jane shows up to his, you know, benefit that he's hosting in honor of Peter Parker. Wait, why would... Why, why would Chris Pine Blonde Peter Parker not have told Mary Jane that Fisk was a criminal? Uh, that is a good question. Maybe they just oh hadn't gone to that point. Oh my gosh. <laughs> or maybe maybe, um, maybe it, he, they just hadn't, like he hadn't delved that deeply. Like the moment when um, Fisk fights with Spider-Man and nearly kills him and then his family leaves, like that might have been their first. Is that, and um, what did that happen yesterday? Or, like uh, I mean, Maybe in recent months. Like, he didn't go home and say, Mary Jane, the most famous guy in town, he's a bad guy. Well, then he and his family and immediately dies. Goblin and all those folks, you know? Yeah. And he's been, that, that doesn't make any sense at all. Or maybe Mary Jane just goes because she knows that she'll be uh, threatened if she doesn't. Yeah. I, su- I mean, you'd think, yeah, like, is she... It's it's like you know he won he won the Game of Thrones, so uh, why doesn't Peter Parker Spider Man take pictures of Fisk before fighting him and then reveal all of his villainous treacherous plots so that the whole public is aware that Fisk is a bad guy and why wouldn't Mary Oh well now we're just talking about like plot holes of superhero films in general right. and then you can't you I mean Fisk is is notoriously hard to take down because of his influence. Um, and I think that stems from his just his physical prowess allows him to like just sort of brute force his way into the the criminal underground, and then he just continually takes takes back the ground, sort of under the notion that he's doing it in in service of the city rather than just for himself. Like I, he he really believes that he's doing a good thing for the city by cleaning up. The organized crime but But uh, he is organized crime yeah he he's you know becoming the monster in order to fight (laughs) the monster Um, okay and well one thing i noticed during during the um that benefit scene like the (laughs) the waiters are wearing spider-man masks which is (laughs) 
in poor taste. I think as uh, mentioned by, is it the noir Spider-Man who says, oh, that's kind of in poor taste. That's kind of a, yeah. Like, was it supposed to be like a cute, I mean, like everyone, well, and they all like, they all dressed up as Spider-Man when they went to the, to the like funeral speech too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, they're, they're Spider-Man costumes. Of course, they're, official uh, hero costumes enabled them to sneak into the benefit unnoticed. Um, but like, I wonder if, cause I don't think the costume, you know, the waiter costumes have the magic eye capabilities of the, uh, the main hero. Right. And it never occurred to anyone that uh, like all these Spider-Man look the same and are wearing waiter outfits. And then there's a couple who, who aren't. They're just, wearing... they slapped on some bow ties and that, that yeah. was good enough. It's a cartoon. It's <laughs> Exactly. And well, yeah, like Mary Jane, she's up close and personal with the, you know, the old Peter Parker and, you know, they, they have an awkward interaction where he uh, doesn't reveal himself, but, and of course his eyes are all expressive and it's like, well, wouldn't she know? <laughs> well, is the, well, my question about the eyes is, is the eyes following your sausage party rule? Um, yeah, I guess. What? Uh, how do? How does it work in the Spider-Man Homecoming? Aren't they? Don't they kind of operate like lenses? They sort of like fade in and out. Um, they, but, yeah, they're like iris lenses. Mm-hmm. Because I was, I was thinking about this today at work actually about the eyes and how and you know in the Sam Raimi that's just those movies are so grounded but then that's what makes the the superhero element so super is that it's you know wild and different but it's just an it's an outfit with eye holes like they don't move and mm-hmm. you you only have his voice expressions to go off of but then of course with a cartoon you can be expressive and move things and ex- in yeah. exaggerated ways um just for you know for the audience but like mm-hmm. you know or yeah doesn't it doesn't make much sense to me but but it's fun it's fun to watch we're hyper overanalyzing things and we've gone on way too no we're doing this yeah purely because it is fun to do um but yeah and and like mary jane she she probably like you know doesn't want to create a scene uh, and and in in all probability knows that wilson fisk is a shady character um but yeah anyways um so so we have our climax really in, in the you know back in the particle accelerator i guess you know it's just assumed that everything will go back to normal once they all jump into this supercharged beam of energy and how do they know like <laughs> whose world is active at which time and it, i guess everything just sort of reassembles as it was because that's what these characters are connected to via their emotions, their their interstellar logic. The moment they got there and Miles like plugged the thing into a panel on the wall, I was I was pretty done. Like I mean, and again, I love this movie, but like that whole ending, I just nothing. It it all stopped. It, it all kind of it unwrapped. The goober. <laughs> the goober. Yeah. The um, old Peter Parker's term for the MacGuffin. For the, the MacGuffin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I mean they were they were on a ceiling in a particle collider, and they jumped in, and then and then they started, and then he and Fisk had their super smash duel on a platform, 
flying through. <laughs> That's exactly what so, it was. And it, yeah, it was literally, like, exactly. Yeah. Uh, what what was it like? Because Miles, he was up. They were, you know, Miles and Peter were up on the ceiling panel, about to plug in the goober, or or they did plug it in, and everyone's jumped in. But then there's just old Peter who's left. Yeah. And then Fisk just shows up on the other side of the you know the beam yeah they just pause for some reason they and decide to fight him yeah like (laughs) maybe because like peter didn't think miles could take him on his own uh or just like (laughs) they thought that he would he would just have such quick reflexes that he would prevent peter from jumping into the beam yeah Uh, i thought there was some real hurry that they were in and like I, i i i don't know um like yeah. we, we because they weren't planning on they weren't planning on taking fisk down obviously because they were all there ready to jump in but then they just happened to notice fisk so then they decided to take him out like i, I mean it is good that peter didn't leave miles behind to just take out but it's like they're in this supercharged environment where like there should miles be some just left like he didn't even need they didn't even need to fight fisk at all no they, no they that's shut, true shut down the I thought that's yeah. Shut down the collider. Like you know, mm-hmm. Peter goes. Peter B. Parker goes in. Miles shuts down the collider. Mm-hmm. Swings out of there. Mm-hmm. Like maybe trigger an explosion for good measure. Just you know. But you need your final boss fight. And also, how did well? And, and that too. Like there was that you know Gozer stay puffed moment at the end of <laughs> the fight where <laughs> there's this massive explosion and yet somehow everyone survives. Yeah. How did how did his dad overcome the hurdle of of not hating Spider Man anymore? Um, because he he thought Spider Man killed his brother, mm-hmm. and then doesn't see Spider Man again until he's in the particle collider and sees him fighting Fisk. How yeah. does he know that Spider Man is still not a bad guy? He probably realizes that the Prowler is is a villain. <laughs> Yeah, that that would make sense. I was I was pretty I was expecting Miles to have to keep up. I well, I was expecting Miles's dad to be kind of like the J. Jonah Jameson. Um, from that point on, that would have gone super tired though. Yeah, and I well, what I really wanted was for him to just reveal his identity right from the get go. But mm-hmm. you've got to have the teen kid be Spider Man without his dad knowing. I, I suppose, but yeah, I'm I'm glad they didn't go the J. Jonah Jameson route. But I thought that's kind of what they were gonna. You know, Spider-Man, because, well, because they all had that that issue where, like, no matter, um, there was always that person they had to try to protect or, and who resented them, you know, and mm-hmm. sometimes it was someone they loved. And so they, and he had that, he had, his dad resented him for a little while, but then not anymore. Anyway. Spider-Man swings in once a day, zip zaps up in his little mask and answers to no one. I love you, Miles. Yeah, I know that. You gotta, gotta say, say I love you back. Dad, are you serious? I, I wanna hear it. Look at this place. Dad, I love you. Dad, I love you. That's a copy. All right, kid, listen up. This fry is your universe. It's soggy, it's weird, it's gross. And this delicious normal fry is my universe. Hey guys. Who are you? I'm Gwen Stacy. I'm from another, another dimension. How many more spider people are there? Hey, fellas. This could literally not get any weirder. It can get weirder. Okay. 
so finally, like we do have the post credits of this movie, which is just. Oh, uh, we did. Okay, I left. You you left. Okay, yep. so so we won't go into that too much. Um, it's just uh, this new version of Spider-Man that we didn't see throughout the rest of the movie, but like he has this, um, this sidekick who like is capable of sending him through the dimensions without an event like the the one that precipitates the events of into the spider verse oh wow that's able huge. to kind of traverse the dimensions at will um and so like the first dimension he enters in and, and you know what we see at the end of the post credit sequence is like he invades the um the 1960s cartoon version of spider-man Oh my and gosh. and you've seen like the classic meme of it's you know the cartoons where they point at each other yeah yeah <laughs> oh my god that's my favorite meme ever and I walked out on that I just went I was like I I, I had to go to the bathroom and I was like is there gonna be a post credit scene it's not a Marvel film it is a Marvel film yeah it's this black suited Spider Man uh, with red red accents and kind of like the um, unlimited spider-man series in the late 90s but that's a whole other thing i don't know if it's specifically that version i i haven't done the research but i think the the character his name's like miguel or something um the the alter ego um so it's not peter parker or miles morales it's just some it's some spider some spider-man we're not comic gurus here so no i don't but but yeah it (laughs) retells that classic moment of the the two Spider-Man uh, pointing at each other in in the sort of limited animation style of the, the late 1960s. That's pretty hilarious. Hilarious. Mm-hmm. Holy butts. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And that's it. All right. Well, thank you, Dawson, for joining me on this discussion of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Uh, we covered a lot of ground here, but I'm sure left plenty of things uh, to the ether. But um, it's definitely a movie that you ought to check out and absorb for yourself if you get a chance. Um, And uh, yeah, may all of you out there have a very Merry Christmas um, with great uh, ability comes great accountability. Yeah. (laughs) And um, visit our website, thodcast.com and you can find the Thodcast on all the various podcasting platforms. Dawson? Thanks for having me. Merry Christmas to you, Philip, and to all our listeners out there. All right. This has been a lot of fun. Y'all take care now. You um, texted me about the Ralph Breaks the Internet um, post-credits that that we can talk about on our episode. And so we'll just... Because we get talk... Because we talk about (laughs) the non, you know, best parts of movies. I mean the the scene with the rabbit and the cat at the end and the the girl playing you know in the car like uh, yeah girl in the car on her tablet and but yeah it was great like irreverent moment (laughs) i so irreverent and i was yeah that was the moment i mean i barely laughed and like that was when like i mean the kid people in the audience like really started like throughout that whole movie i kept looking over at the the moms on the left and right of me there were two moms on the left and right of me at wreck it rough with their children and i kept looking at them smiling like huh huh you relate to what they just said you relate to this you know digital age social commentary huh and they never did but then finally at the end 
mom and the girl at the tablet in the back and freaks out. They got a, they got a real chuckle out of that. That was so <laughs> they got the grown-ups so. to crack. Yep, they cracked the grown-ups yeah. at the end.